know what just happened in the background of this, but let's just say there was a serious change of subject. <laughs> Big time. Look, we've been... We, we were Googling nudes, okay? <laughs> oh. Stop it. <laughs> Welcome to the Brain Candy Podcast. We were, in fact, Googling nudes, but it was for research. Research purposes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, I mean, everything I do is for you These guys. shows don't write themselves. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And I, you know what? We've been stalling. Sarah's been not good at work today. No, and terrible. I just had to push record. Yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, because here's the thing: is I've just been blabbing all day. Because we might as you. well do it with the thing on record. Sarah's been gone, and so like I feel like we have our whole lives have passed before our eyes, and we just need a lot of catch up. Two whole weeks without seeing each other. Right. That's it's, like four It's actually episodes. longer because there were three <gasps> Champs oh, versus Pros it. that aired that you were not present for. Okay. People, I have seen zero episodes of that. What? I haven't even seen any I episodes of it. I thought we watched the first one together, you and uh-uh. I. Sarah, oh, wait, we did. We did. We watched the first one together. <laughs> What's wrong Are with we, you? We watched the, f- the first one. What did they do? They like, j- they got in fights, Lolo oh. and the Lime Gate. Remember she? Picked- no, I didn't watch it with you. Who the hell watched it? I didn't watch it. I don't think I watched it. I think I. You did, Sarah. Are we sure? You know what? I'm you gonna look, look right this. now. I don't think I'm I- sick What's of your lies. When Lolo pulled the lime out and said what name was on nope, it, didn't that wasn't me? Didn't watch it with me. I've seen none of it. Oh, you're right. That was Adam. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh! Way to throw around blame. Make me feel shitty. I'm really trying to stick to my guns I th- over here. I just here. really thought it was you. I'm well, so sorry. Well, I like that you think of me the same way you do your husband. <laughs> yeah, he watched it with me. Then the second episode he watched with me, and then Sarah Grayson was here for the third I'm one. I'm so jealous because I love Sarah Grayson. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, what? She's just replacing me with the first Sarah she finds? Is that what happens? <laughs> no, I wasn't jealous. I'm just kidding. I love Sarah Grayson. Um, but what I'm really upset about is that I missed the West sending bananas home. Yeah, no, we're going to go over it today. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, we record this ahead of time, yeah. so whatever. It, it It is pretty fantastic. I think I need more wine for this. Hang on, let me... Yeah, is there any in there? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, I just want to say thank you guys for ordering our merch. We've sold a lot of <sighs> merch lately because we have some new items. Well, and the new items are so cute. Um, if you want to go on the Brain Candy Podcast... Wait, what is it? The Brain Candy... What the hell is our website? The braincandypodcast.com slash candy store. It was one of those moments where I was like, where do we live? What's my name? <laughs> Who am I? Who am I? Go what to the, year is it? Go to thebraincandypodcast.com and let's say let's do a promo code. Oh, great. What do you think? What should it be? That, you can choose anything. <laughs> my gut instinct is nudes. <laughs> okay. Okay. The promo code is nudes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You can please either, type nudes into your search. You can browser. either send us a nude or type <laughs> in nudes, and you can get ten percent off your order. And uh, but for you, the record, a photo won't work in the discount code. No. So actually, type nudes. Yeah, type N U D E S into our promo code for ten percent off. And uh, if you you're do, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and um, if you. 
do order something from us, which you should, we will ship it to you via stamps.com, which has been a lifesaver for me because it is basically a post office at your desk and it provides you with everything you need to send stuff directly from your desk. If you're a person on eBay or Etsy or you just ship a lot of packages, maybe you're really generous. What do I know? Then this is perfect for you. If you go to stamps.com and click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Brain Candy, you get to enjoy a special offer that includes four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitment. So it's not like some sort of trap Yeah, we're sending you, you to. you hit your wagon to this cart. What's the expression? <laughs> hitch your cart to this horse for too long? <laughs> no, it is not like that. It's but convenient, you want to. it's easy, and it's reliable, and it's flexible, and... It does the job. So if you're like me and reclusive, don't want to leave <laughs> uh, your little space, then you're going to love this. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Brain Candy for that special offer. Um, okay. Today we are talking about this fantastic mm-hmm. docuseries on Netflix called The Keepers. Fantastically creepy. Yeah. I didn't know what I was signing up for when all you people were like, hey, you need to go watch The Keepers. I was like, oh, that, that sounds, sounds nice. <laughs> the Keepers. Right, it does sound Keepers so of shame and dark secrets. Yeah. I mean, that's really what they mean. Yeah, right? absolutely. This series is about, essentially it's about a nun who was murdered. And then it's also separately about sexual... Uh, abuse that's happening at the hands of a priest mm-hmm. in an all-girls high school in Baltimore. And the people kept saying, I need to, obviously, right. when you have a doctorate in religion, people think, Suze, you need <gasps> oh to see Oh my God, this. I didn't even think about that. Why didn't I think about that? I just was like, hey, we talk about women's True crime. I didn't yeah. even think... Sometimes I forget that I'm sitting next to a fucking doctor. Hello? (laughs) How dare I? Of course. No, yeah. So it, for for me, it's so interesting because of the religious components. But once you're in, I mean, there's so many elements that are intriguing from the murder, of course, the mystery, the the religion. But for me, and I'll let you speak and Mm -hmm, say what mm -hmm. you find intriguing, it is these older women that are the freaking heroes of this film and how women often when they're older are just valueless societally speaking oh, i didn't eat. that's so true and these like the systems that are in place to protect us failed these women and they were like screw you i'm gonna do it and that's what i find so inspiring about the keepers oh well, I can't wait to keep watching because I feel like I'm not even there yet. Yeah, Sarah's just getting started with it. And I, right now, nobody seems strong to me. Like, Well, they're strong for revealing their oh, stories. Absolutely, absolutely. But then when I hear, like, the thing that stood out to me the most, because, I mean, I've only watched episode one. Right. So I'm in the brand new, I, I people kept saying, watch this documentary, watch the documentary. And they kept saying documentary. So I thought I was just going to sit down for a nice evening with a glass of wine and watch an open and closed documentary like I always do on Netflix. No, no, no. This is a multi, you know, episode, uh, you know, there are a lot of parts to it. And the thing that stood out to me in the first episode, and maybe this is just like, it takes one to know one kind of thing, but the voice 
that the there's almost like a tone that people who have at some time in their life been victims have. Yeah. Of like a power in their voice versus not having power in their voice. Mm -hmm. And there were so many of these voices. Like I used to watch the show Loveline when it was on with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla back in the day, but whoever else it was that filled in. And Dr. Drew used to be able to have phone calls that he would get and the woman would come on the line and he would say within 30 seconds, so how old were you when you experienced sexual abuse? And I hear that same thing in these women's voices. How would you describe it? It's almost like an inappropriate uh, vocal range for that age, like a younger vocal mm-hmm. range. And a, a way... Ew, and this is... I, I apologize for being this this blunt and the, using these descriptive like terms but or, or, or pictures, but if you've ever seen any or caught any porn that's very um, misogynistic where women almost have this baby voice where they're like, eh, 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 and it gets that like, oh, man. that is almost what it is in a regular tone. Like, and it's so sick to me. It's hmm. so weird that there's this, it's almost a submissive voice. Hmm. And I, I, I have like a, a, like I can hear it and pick it up like that and go, oh, that person was once victimized. Because when I get in the certain headspace, I can get that voice. Like I know that voice. Oof. Well, there's a lot to talk about with regards to the series. If you haven't watched it yet, you should. And and I should say, I have no intention of revealing spoilers. This isn't really about... Um, I hope not, because I'm only on episode one. Yeah, Please don't. That's Your own the thing. Co-hosts. Like the... To me, the facts of the case and the sort of like the the entertainment part secondary. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting to me about it is the way. Well, it's in much the same way as S Town. The storytelling, mm-hmm. the characters, and then the bigger themes mm-hmm. of power, mm-hmm. of systemic um, violence against women, and then the ways that we can take that back mm-hmm. and have a voice. And oh, and then now that the the series is out, the reaction. So this is something that mm. isn't in the film, the series, but has happened since then. Which what? is that the the man that in the series is being um, alleged as being a um, a pedophile mm-hmm. and an abuser of young girls. His body was exhumed to see if the DNA on his <gasps> body matched the crime. Oh my um, god! So this isn't spoiling the film because it hasn't. It's separate, uh-huh. but it it is not a match. <gasps> Wait, and what? So he's not being considered as like the murderer of. Oh, okay, okay, Sister Kathy. Right. Oh. Right. So, so that's something that has happened since the film came out. But a lot <sighs> of what the archdiocese of Baltimore has been like tweeting and stuff since. The Keepers came out has been very disheartening for me. Oh, my God. I didn't even... You know, go figure. You would go to so, see what they... Because <laughs> I'm know. Twitter obsessed. Well, no. It's exactly the same thing that happened when we watched uh, Mommy Dead and Dearest. And you were like, you don't know? I already Googled everybody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because... 
holy crap. You're absolutely... What are they saying? Um, of course they're trying... Uh, uh, okay, so here's what's weird to me as just sort of like someone who looks at religion is that people have been so hopeful since the new Pope came in, Pope Francis. And he's a Franciscan uh priest who became pope he's from south america he's mm-hmm. focused on social justice yeah. he's focused on poverty he's um mm-hmm. humble Helping man the environment yeah he's a guy that sort of seems to be taking mm-hmm. back the idea that the christian church and the catholic church are meant to lift people up be the voice of those without a voice so when something like the keepers comes out my hope is always let's do this different than they did in Boston with the movie Spotlight, right? right. Oh my God! That let's movie was let's so see intense. some let's see some oh different, you know, protocol being yeah. in place and reactions. Because now you can't say that this is the this is all new. Yeah, we've done we've been done and believe me, before. when you watch the whole series, you're not going to be happy oh. with the church. But then since mm-hmm. it came out, they've also doubled down and kind of said like. I don't like every time you use that expression is because it doesn't mean anything good. Right. They're just sort of like, you know, basically in defense mode. And that's nowhere helpful. No, because what about the people, the kids and the... I mean, they've paid out settlements to these these victims, some women and a man, and said, we gave them all this money... Like, even though, you know, the courts aren't requiring them to give the money, it's not like an official legal settlement. And so they see that as like, hey, we did what we had to do. Have you heard the differences between first order change and second order change? Okay, so this is um, a concept that is in um, psychology and in especially like community psychology and things that have to do with uh, different parts of a system and how those all play together. And first order change deals with changing the existing structure, changing everything um, and like a restoration of balances. So it would be like a putting a Band-Aid on something. Like first order change is exactly what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. Is like, oh, well, we're going to address this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Second order of change requires new learning and a new information system. A whole new concept of you have to change the entire structure to the foundation. They it, this same this same concept applies to dealing with the homeless population. It's the difference between it's you if you want to go into religion, it's the difference between giving a man a fish and teaching him to fish. Right. First order change is giving him a fish. Second order change is teaching him how to fish. So that's the biggest problem is that we're addressing this from the wrong. That's what we keep doing. Right. That's what these churches keep doing. That's what or, or what do you even call them? Like parish, parish, mm-hmm. different that you know. There needs to be, and that's the frustrating thing is that I feel like the Pope that we have right now is making an effort to make these changes, or feels like there should be a change, but the system is what's messed up. And how do you change something that's been in power for hundreds and hundreds of years? Well. That's the thing, is that 
I, people don't like when I say this because I do like the Pope, mm-hmm. but I kind of see him as a wolf in sheep's clothes because, yes, he has good right. ideas and stuff, but the system remains the same. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Do you ever see the show The New Pope? No, you keep telling me to watch it. You gotta watch it! Because basically everything we're saying, it... um, What's the word? In order to drive home a point, it it blows it up into extremes so that you can really see how fucked up it is. Mm -hmm. So... Oh, I don't even know how to word that right, but it's like they take situations that are very very real and they go okay well if this can happen then what if this happens and then what if this happens and do you still think the same thing Mm -hmm. because this is going on Mm -hmm. and at what point do you have a problem with this Mm -hmm. and it doesn't take much for you to watch it and be like oh that's all fucked up this is all about it's politics not religion and it's politics being masked masked as religion which is even worse like when oh which is exactly what we're doing with other things today right now oh my god yes well whenever human beings are human beings so Mm -hmm. there's always going to be you know issues of like sin Mm-hmm. Like, let's call it sin, mm-hmm. you know, where somebody preys upon another person mm-hmm. or takes advantage of someone sexually or abuses someone, whatever. Those things are going to exist as long as there are human beings. Right. So when you combine that with what exists, which is this supposedly infallible authority, who's a representative of a divine <sighs> being. That was the scariest. That was one of the scariest parts of it. I think when people watch it with eyes of not knowing what it's like to be in a religion mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. in a religion like that, that they can't understand. You're right. Like they think, why would they let that guy do that? Or why would they not tell someone sooner? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, any sexual abuse survivor can relate to that. Mm-hmm. You know, well, why didn't you tell somebody? Uh, that seems like the last thing that's an option. Right. It and, really does feel like that. The, the, the actually helping yourself is the is the most difficult thing to do. Well, because you see how when people do come forward, <sighs> what happens sometimes. Oftentimes. Not oftentimes. Yeah. yeah. That's really the... I'm my own story. Mm-hmm. I have no justice in mine. Right. And I'm white, middle to upper class, with highly educated Right. Imagine if I were anybody else. I mean, come on. Right. Forget it. Yeah. And imagine if the person that you were accusing oh. was the, a pillar of the community. Yes. 
somebody who gave up everything to serve God. And I'm sorry, but that's how it's seen. That's one of the really interesting things that stood out to me when I was watching the first episode is the... Now, I always forget his name. What's his name? Maskell. Maskell. Father Maskell. The perpetrator of these... I'm not even going to use the word alleged because that's like insulting too. I hate when people like when they, when I was on my real world season and they kept calling him your alleged abuser. I was like, fuck you. I was there. I know. Yeah. So it is. Alleged that. that. Yeah. Alleged that. So the perpetrator of these acts, when they were talking about how he ended up being in the position that he's in and how he ended up as the, um, uh, pastor and all those things and a psychologist what i missed that he's a psychologist no 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 i can't even believe it well i can't believe that because i think it's like a desire to have a deeper understanding of why you are the way you are because that's really why any of us get into that kind of profession i have to have some answers and he from it said in the in the documentary in the series that from his childhood he was destined to be this role like he was going to be according to his folks according right? to his folks or his according mom. to his mother yeah that at 15 his future was already laid out in front of him could you imagine if you're a 15 year old boy and you are feeling like i felt pressure from you know my parents or whatever to be a certain way could you imagine if that way of being meant Denying, yes, denying all of your natural, humanly desire. You cannot, uh, even if you're a person who has made the decision to give their life to your religion, which is fine, go ahead and do that. You cannot ignore biological, um, what do you even want to call it? Urges. Urges. Like, but I, it almost is more than that. It's like the same way that you need to breathe to live. We are programmed to do a certain thing. Like the, the, that's why in a lot of religions they have excuse, like nocturnal emissions. They have a whole explanation of what, like they need to explain those away. I got an explanation for you because your body needs to do that because that's what you're biologically made to do. Mm-hmm. And when you deny somebody that right which I feel like is right. There's no way that they that that kind of suppression of urges can't seep out in other dark ways. And all it took, and I wouldn't be so. I haven't seen the rest of it, but I would imagine that he's probably a victim of some sort of abuse as well. Yeah, I wonder Duh. that myself. Because that has to be set in their minds that that is oh, something happened. There's something that happened. I don't agree with you, though, because I think I have no idea what happened to him or didn't. But in that circumstance, I don't think it's necessarily the case where it's being passed down. I think that this this circumstance, yeah, yeah like I the agree. circumstance I of agree. making someone be celibate. I agree. Can trigger. Yes, that is what that is what it is. Because then you're just looking for opportunity. Right. And it comes in the form of kids who are afraid of you. Well, Okay. Let's think about even deeper than that. So if you're denying all of your urges and if you think about, like, think back to times where you felt feelings of love or feelings of of joy or feelings of elation, and those have often come from something like 
um, spending time with your kid and laughing and joking with your kid. If you were denying and suppressing urges in one category and then you felt joy and elation when you were around children or in that, I can see how it would be easy for a brain who was very twisted and confused in a lot of other ways to label them as almost the same thing, Mm -hmm. to have those feelings cross, to go, oh, this is joy. Maybe joy is this, and this is how I get, it's all messed up Mm because you don't have a, you don't, it's like, um, like water flowing through a stream and now it's like backed up with a dam and now you've given it one, you've, you've changed the direction in which the water flows. And now instead that joy, instead of flowing to, you know, the exchange between, uh, in a relationship or between two loving consent consenting adults like because that's really important mm-hmm. intimacy in that if you cut that off and now you've redirected the water towards that joy and love going to connections with you feel with these children these mm-hmm. women, these girls i can see how i'm not making an excuse by any means but you have well, to it's like a system unravel and i think we're just back. acknowledging yeah. the way that it's a system yeah. And not isolated, and that's why there's so many victims, not just in this case, but like around the world uh, within that structure, because it's not normal right. to ask somebody to right. <sighs> never feel a sexual thing. It's not only not normal, it's dangerous and unhealthy. Clearly. Clearly. So I wanted to reach out to the filmmaker whose name is Ryan White and he's so cool and you should follow him on Twitter and he uh, I tweeted to him and was like you've made a masterpiece Mm. well done Mm -hmm. and he was like you're this gay boy's fantasy (laughs) uh, from the 90s or something like that because I'm sure we're similar in age and you know I was on TV when he was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So we invited him on the show and I wanted to talk to him, not about the details of the case or about, you know, the abuse as much as I wanted to talk to him about how you go about making a film in over a three year period where three years. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot that you can uncover. And then the content is so, as you'll see if you continue watching it, Which is I, so... if I... Come on, how can you stop? Like every episode you think, okay, now I have all the information, and then you're like, oh, I really don't. Mm-hmm. And then you get some new information, and you're just like, what's happening? Do you think more of these stories are going to come out? They have since it started, right. yeah. Right. So after the shit hit the fan for Maskell in the U.S., he fled to Ireland and became a psychologist for children who suffer sexual abuse. <laughs> if you could see Sarah's face, people probably just check their phones like, wait, did this cut out? Oh, <laughs> oh Horrible my God. podcasting oh just my happened. God. Oh, my God. Of course. I'm sick. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. 
Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I'll share with you guys my father, who is the person who sexually abused me, has a brother who's in the legal world. He, he's a lawyer. And you know what he does, what he specializes in? He prosecutes. Uh, he is the, the person who represents victims in sexual abuse cases. I don't think that that's an accident. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. That is even more dark and twisted. Like, so people are coming with, out now in Ireland saying he uh-huh. did this to me, of yeah, course, of course. etc. <gasps> oh, well, and I think about, you know, in my, I think, of course, my uncle does that because he's praying to God that he runs across somebody who says this person, like, and he can stop more. Oh so, my God, it's so fucked up. It's so twisted. Both like Magnus and Maskell, the two male uh, figures in the story from the school are dead now, so they've gone to their grave without being punished. But that doesn't mean we can't still seek answers and, you know, help for the victims and I should say survivors. They prefer the word survivors. Yes, Sorry, absolutely. Um, oh, so yeah. anyway, I wanted to introduce uh, Ryan White, who's the filmmaker and documentarian, and just a really thoughtful. Special person. He did a Reddit, Ask Me Anything. You should check that out. I'll put that in the newsletter as well. Um, But uh, here he is, and he will uh, agree to come on the show and answer some questions. I warned him that it would probably be just me telling him how awesome he is. So I tried to be a little more articulate than that. (laughs) Like most times. But, you know, I don't know if I succeeded. So thank you to Ryan White for coming on the show and uh, enjoy the interview about the Keepers. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. I already warned you that I would just be worshiping you for 20 minutes, so bear with me. Uh, (laughs) I want to know what it's like for you right now, sort of, I was going to say in the eye of the storm, but I don't know how you would describe it. What does it feel like for you now that the Keepers is out? No, I I would say eye of the storm is is an accurate expression. I'm um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the Keepers, um, and I'm... Um, I'm feeling the impact of the global nature of Netflix, but if I'm completely honest with you, I'm most of my days are spent nauseated right now because (laughs) um, I'm feeling, no, I am. I'm feeling the, you know, I was so tunneled in the Maskell story and Baltimore and the survivors there. And now that the story is out there and Netflix is so popular, my inboxes are just full and full of personal stories of child sex abuse and people, um, all over the world, all of like, you know, every continent I've got an email from saying, well, not Antarctica, that's a lie, but the other one, yeah. uh, saying, um, telling their own stories and saying, would you, would you be interested in documenting my story, which I obviously can't do. Um, wow. so I'm trying to grasp the, the impact of what these, these brave survivors and the keepers did by sharing their stories, but how that's happening ripple effects all over the world right now. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that, it really is hitting you the just the enormity of the problem and this is a very specific story but it's clearly resonating with so many different kinds of people I think especially women and that's what made 
Uh, I think the keeper is so special. There's like, there's so many true crime and mystery um, documentaries and series, but I was so impressed with these broads. I mean, they're so heroic and brave. <laughs> me did, too. Me did, too. Yeah. No, that was what that was what drew me to the project. So um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but my aunt went to this high school. Yeah. Um, and was Sister Kathy's student. Um, you know, my mom is from a big Catholic family in Baltimore, and they grew up with the Hargadon family, who's, who's Jane Doe and, and the Keepers. Um, so these women are are my mom. They are my aunts. You know, yeah. they are this generation of women that, that raised me. And so to see that from both sides as a storyteller, from the survivor side of these horrific things that happened to these girls, who are now women um, that could have been my mom or could have been my aunt. Um, and then also from the other side of, of the women like Gemma and Abby, who weren't harmed in this type of way, but are not willing to let this, to let this go um, unanswered for. Right. Um, so that was my big draw to the keepers was I, 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 I love that it's a woman's story and I wish, I wish I were a female director um, <laughs> because because it, it is a woman's story, and I feel very privileged as a man to have been a part of telling that, um, and I've learned so much in making it. But that was my big draw, and I'm so pleased with the impact of that. I mean, there's five female survivors throughout the Keepers, and the responses that I'm seeing to them mm. from the world at large is so um, rewarding to see because I, I'm in awe of all of them as well. I think it's a real testament to your talent, though, as well, that their uh, stories were able to really shine through your vision and that you got out of the way and just highlighted their amazing bravery. And so I really commend you for that, and I also congratulate you because that's, that's hard to do, I would imagine, sort of just get out of the way and let the story be amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's- but that's my job often. You know, I love, I love to listen. Um, and I've always loved to listen and since I was a little kid. So that's, that's probably why I became a documentary filmmaker. The difference in the keepers and uh, from the other projects I've worked on is that what I was listening to was so painful and horrific. Um, but I think one of the benefits that we had going for us, I mean, is that, uh, it took three years to make it. So these women, you know, the first time I sat down with them weren't burying their souls in the way they were one year, two years, three years right. into the process. So you have to build that trust and that comfort level and that, you know, myself and my team, the filmmaking team is going to take care of your story um, and to tell it sensitively. And that was built uh, over the years for sure. And it's so, it's so clear that you had that relationship and it really comes through for the viewer. And I think, as a viewer, you know, there were lots of moments throughout the seven parts where my hair hair stood on end and I was like in shock mm-hmm. about something. Were there moments while you were filming where you were like shocked or were you just prepared for everything? <laughs> no, no, no. I was <laughs> never prepared. I'm never prepared. Are you kidding? Uh, uh, woefully unprepared. Uh no, I mean, that's, it's kind of twofold, right? The Keepers is kind of following two tracks. So there's, yeah. there's the abuse side, which is really painful and, and human. And, you know, it, I know it's going to be hard for people to watch because it was hard for me to listen to and it's hard for the victims to talk about. Um, and then there's the, the, the murder mystery part, right. which um, I think you obviously can't unravel from the abuse, but 
was very different at times where um, I, as a filmmaker, had to be a lot more confrontational um, mm. or go into someone's home who may have been suspected of a crime and ask them hard questions about why they are suspected of the, the crime. So that's, that's mainly where the shocking moments came from, whether it was me sitting down with the police or going into Edgar Davidson's home and him confirming all of these strange things we've heard about him you know, throughout the last three years. Those were the moments where I was definitely outside of my comfort zone and always, <laughs> always unprepared. <laughs> Did you feel at all that when this came out, that, that everyone could see it, that anything would change with the Archdiocese of Baltimore or otherwise, that this would or will um, spark change? Or do you feel like, because I, I noticed in your Reddit, people were talking about how the Archdiocese kind of maybe piped up a bit. And I'm wondering if, if you think they'll stand their ground and stay where they are in the position, or do you think there'll be some changes? Um, it is a good question, and I, I, I can't answer it for them. Um, I, I'm, I'm a good Catholic boy. I was raised Catholic, and I had a very positive experience in the Catholic Church, um, and I left for my own reasons in my 20s, not related to child sex abuse at all. So I had, um, I had a very positive image of the Church still when I started making this. Um, the stories horrified me. Um, and I was very disappointed in the making of it that I felt like the Archdiocese did not play an active role in participating or show any interest in transparency. And I felt like they um, continued to hide, to hide behind the walls of that Archdiocesan building. Um, the worst part for me, though, has been watching their immediate reaction right. to the theory. I don't know why it. I don't know why it surprised me because I'd. I've heard, you know, I've been side by side with Jean for three years and had seen how the right. institution had harmed her. But I was, I was surprised. I think the good Catholic boy in me was so hopeful that, like, finally they were going to do a mea culpa. And instead, what we saw was they came out in attack mode from the moment from before the documentary came out. They were already talking about um, the documentary and, and parts that we had omitted without having seen it, um, and we're, we're tweeting some completely insensitive things, I think, that I know rattled the survivors that I had worked with and um, resulted me in, on, on phone calls with some of them in tears saying, why does this institution continue to do this to us? So I've noticed a little bit of remessaging in like the last week um, where they've gotten a lot quieter and seem to be trying to show more compassion. Yeah. But that initial reaction really, really upset me and really made me angry for the, for the people who so bravely participated in the series. And I, I, I kind of, I kind of lost my hope at this point. It's, I, I'm sort of, it, it sort of landed with me, what Jean has been showing me all along. It's like, this isn't, we don't need this institution to do the right thing because they're not going to. Yeah. It's very disappointing. And when I look at the lives of both Jean and sister Kathy and their devotion and, and the way that they gave their lives in different ways to God and the church and to see how that is not only not returned, but you know, the opposite is really disheartening. I'm wondering in your discussions with the survivors, do they ever say whether it's affected their devotion or faith? Yeah, I mean, almost almost every survivor, I think every survivor that I did work with that appears in the series is not Catholic anymore, um, but they all have found their own spirituality somewhere else. You mm -hmm. know, none, 
none are hardcore atheists either. Um, what's interesting about that was that, you know, Jean has been so silenced all of her life, and especially in the 90s when she tried to bring this all forward and was shut down by the church and the state, um, that she's really had to pick up the pieces for her own faith. She'll use the expression, my faith was shattered. Hmm. Um, and what's been really powerful to watch over the last three years is, you know, Jean stayed very private. She wasn't a part of the Facebook group. She wasn't a part of the whole murder mystery investigation with Gemma and Abby. You know, whenever I was with Jean, it was in the walls of her home hmm. and she doesn't mix with these people, but she's always watching. Um, and I think I can speak for Jean when I say this because I, she said it to me many times, like, these people are the church. These are the people who are lifting us up and, 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 and believing us. And so the Catholic Church as an institution, the Archdiocese of Baltimore failed them repeatedly. And what I think Jean is feeling right now, and especially since the release of this series, is this uh, community church, in a way, of um, just the people from her community saying, we believe you, and we're so sorry this happened to you, and it's not too late to get you justice. Right. Amen to that. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I was uh, reading about how, you know, people are curious about the name, the keepers, and how you talk about how the women were these information keepers, and, and then there's also the gatekeepers that sort of stall any kind of movement. And then I was also thinking about the idea of being your brother or sister's keeper and how these women act as sister's keepers for each other. And I think that that's a really beautiful and inspiring part of the series. Would you agree? I do. Yeah. And I mean, that, that title um, was actually derived from, I stole it. <laughs> I stole it from <laughs> a conversation that I was that I was filming between Jean and one of her friends, and one of her friends who I'd met many times, but I didn't know she was a survivor myself. And we were at a restaurant, and we were filming, and she just opened up with it in tears, and she used the expression um, in relating to Jean, and she said that's because we're the keepers, that's because we live with these secrets, with this pain, and we're forced to live with it inside of us because nobody wants to listen to it. Um, and right when she said it, I knew I was going to steal it as a title. <laughs> there were so many, there were so many, there was so much symbolism to me in that expression. And brothers keeper, sisters keeper, for right. sure, gatekeepers, as you said. And and there's negative and positive connotations for that word, but um, it was such a beautiful embodiment to me of what people like Jean um, have been forced to live with and are finally getting to. Um, excavate out of themselves. I was looking at, I was introduced to you through this um, series, and then I was looking at your body of work, and I noticed a theme of really strong women. I know I keep talking about it, but you've worked with Serena Williams, mm -hmm. you worked with um, the Beatles secretary, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Was it Freda or Frida Kelly? 
Freda. Freda. And I thought, are you a person who is intentionally moving towards strong women or are they drawn to you or are you drawn to them? What's the deal? <laughs> What's the deal? Uh, if only I knew. Uh, no, I was I was I was raised by a single mom and a big sister, big yeah. bossy sister. Um, <laughs> and uh, my gra- my grandma was always my hero. And oh. I think um, I think I'm drawn to them. I don't know. I, someone someone uh, a journalist just asked me that recently. Like all of your films have strong women at the center of it, and yeah. I had never even really considered that, but they do. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why I don't like men, <laughs> uh, but I'm, but I'm much more, I'm, I'm always drawn to these stories of, 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 uh, feminine power, um, yeah. which I would say is the overlap in all of my stories. And the keepers by far is, is the most, um, feminist, I would say, mm-hmm. um, in that way, or at least as far as women coming together. Um, but and my, and my next movie is going to be about a woman, actually. A I love woman this. Again. This is great. That, 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 that's my next subject. So one day I will put it on my list to make a movie about a man. Do you, <laughs> just to, you know, you have to have an exception to prove the rule. Um, do you yeah, have, yeah. looking back, because now we're sort of reflecting, because we get to consume your beautiful art now, but you're sort of at the back end of it. Do you have any regrets or things you would change about The Keepers? Mm, man, tough question, Susie. Uh, <laughs> Real hard balls over here. Yeah, yeah. I uh, no. I mean, I have no regrets about what in the documentary. I think. Um, I think my greatest regret is more the social impact that it's having, and I'm, I'm proud of the social impact that it's having. But I wasn't prepared. I should have been more prepared um, for the ripple effects that the mm. documentary was going to have. And I'm doing a lot of, um, you know, it's only been out for two weeks, but I'm doing a lot of uh, shuffling right now to figure out how to feel all of these heartfelt responses coming into me. So, you know, we built the social impact website around um, the keepers that, that's out there and it's been very successful. A lot of people have been going to it. I'll be spending a lot of time on it. I can see from the metrics, but I was It's like that final scene in Spotlight hmm. when, at the Boston Globe when the phones are ringing off the hook after yeah. they've left the office. And that's the feeling that I'm left with. So my biggest regret was not having predicted that a little bit more and been prepared um, emotionally and logistically for that. And that's really where I'm investing most of my interest now. Well, we are really impressed with the film and the way that you've told these stories and the way that it seems to be empowering other people to open up and uh, share things that have happened to them. And it's mobilizing folks to get involved as well, which I think is really impressive. Um, I ask everybody one last question, which is, Ryan, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? <laughs> we ask everybody. We feel like it's symbolic. It's weird. Uh, the trunk of my car is full. It's full to the brim with <laughs> posters from my very first film, which came out 10 years ago, which just <laughs> never sold. The posters never sold, and I they're too heavy to lift out myself. Come on. So I just never lifted the cardboard box out, so my trunk goes completely unused because it's full of posters from a documentary that nobody wanted to buy. Come on. 
<laughs> it is. You I cannot accept that. That's crazy. Wow, you got to get those out of there one of these days. You got to move on, man. I will. Ryan. I think I'm just going to sell my car soon, actually. Yeah, just do that. Problem solved. Um, well, we yeah. are so lucky that you came on to speak with us, and I want to thank you for being such a, a hero to so many people and telling this incredible story. So, well done. Thank you, Susie. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Talk soon. Thank you so much, Ryan. Okay, bye. Bye.